to the rest of you. All right, awesome. Hey, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to be with you, man. How many of you were here last Sunday or watched online? Man, it was a special time. Jesus did some phenomenal things, and I think he's up to some incredible things this morning as well. We're actually kicking off a new series this morning called Silent Killers. Everybody say, ooh. Silent killers. Now, maybe you've heard, before you freak out, you're like, what are we talking about right now? Um, Before you freak out, maybe you've heard this term in healthcare when it comes to human beings. We'll often talk silent killers in reference to things like diabetes or cholesterol or hypertension or prostate cancer. In the human specter, maybe we're talking about stuff like lead paint or asbestos or if you're an office fan, radon. Uh, Maybe it's spiders. Anybody else besides me? Just like, I, I just, why, why? God, why? Why? Those are mosquitoes. I just don't understand. I've got some questions for God when I get up there. Uh, when it comes to health, we, 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 have no, we know now to ask questions about things like family history when it comes to disease. We ask about prostate cancer and breast cancer and, and a history of heart conditions. And, and if we're really circumspect, we might even think about things that are generational spiritual killers. We'll look at our family history and see, man, there's been a lot of, you fill in the blank, broken marriages and adultery and addiction and abuse and divorce. And and, and so we have come to realize, maybe more so now than ever in this season, that our health is simultaneously so important and yet it is so fragile. You know, I've had Haiti on my mind in a major way the past 10 days, 14 days or so. With the earthquake, I remember in 2010 when the, when the earthquake struck Port-au-Prince and, and our church began our intimate partnership there in Haiti. I know a lot of us are from Haitian backgrounds and so we felt it very acutely in this season. But, but I remember when the earthquake struck Haiti and the world was mobilized and, and we did some things well and we did some things really poorly because you can't, good intentions aren't, aren't enough. You've gotta do good work in a, in a wise way. And so we, we stepped out to try to make partnerships with Haitian leaders on the ground and sort of learn from them their unique context because they get it better than we get it. And so we're not trying to step in to be the great white tan whatever hope. We want to partner with what God's already doing. And so we made friends in Haiti with Pastor Obed and Cite Soleil and Pastor Samuel. And I remember when the earthquake struck, there began to be this second wave of disaster and tragedy. People were dying left and right, and they did not know why until they realized it was the water. They eventually traced it back to a cholera outbreak from some UN peacekeeping troops that were there and and with great intention, some really disastrous things happened. I remember Pastor Samuel coming and saying, hey, listen, I've got this team of young people. They're sharp, they're ready. We don't need you to do anything for us, but we wanna come together to work together, to partner together because we've got a team that's ready to be mobilized to go into the villages, to go into rural communities, to do water sanitation projects. We just need some partnership. And so we had some water engineers in our church and we said, all right, we got the engineers, you got the team, let's do this thing together because the kingdom of Jesus is not American, it's, it's, it's a family from all over the world, amen? And so I remember getting there and meeting some of my faith heroes in Haiti, the strength, the resilience, the food, whoo, come on somebody. And I remember falling in love with what God was doing in Haiti and 
And so we began to go into some of these communities, and, and I did my best with, with Kringlish, a little bit of Creole mixed with Spanglish and English. I did my best, and como huye, and, and I get a, little, a few things out there, but, but I, I picked up enough to realize that people were, they were baffled. They did not yet realize because it was all so brand new. They knew that people were dying, but they did not know why. Because there was this silent killer in the water. And the more I thought and the more I've prayed and the more, and thank you church for your generosity. We sent a donation already as a movement last week. We'll send another one this week to help with relief efforts on the ground with some of these longstanding partners. But I thought about this story because I thought that it's not just something that happens in the physical realm. See, we're more than just bodies. We have a soul. We have a spirit. And our physical health matters, amen? We're trying to all look out for one another in this season, but our spiritual and emotional health matters just as not as much, if not more, into eternity. And it's on my heart in such a major way this morning because so often, and I do not think it is unique to us as North Americans, I think it's a human problem, but it is acutely felt in our context. We so often tend to think things are much smaller deals than they actually are. So we don't check until it's too late. In the natural, we, we avoid, how many of you like going to the dentist? Okay, three of y'all crazy people. God bless you, we love you. The rest of us mere mortals, right? We're like, oh man, dentist appointment. You, I don't know if you're like me, you get the do 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 It's not the Holy Spirit, it's the, the fear of the dentist, not the fear of the Lord, right? We freak out, we avoid the dentist until we get a root canal. And we avoid, avoid the checkups until it's a heart issue and, God forbid, a heart attack. And, and, and we push off the marriage problems. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Man, we got so many other things, so many other things, until it culminates in tragic divorce. And it does not have to be this way. What's the problem? It's a bunch of silent killers. And you don't see them often until it's too late. We're going to unpack in the next six weeks in this series talking about real life and real problems that we actually face. The church is not just supposed to be a place where we stick our head in the sand and say, praise God, everything's great. Everything's not great. Life is challenging right now. So many of the metrics that point to human flourishing are plummeting in this season, and it's no surprise why. And as we prayed and spent time, Pastor Mike and myself, prayer and fasting, which we do every time we approach a new year and a new series, we felt like this was the moment. So we're going to be talking about anxiety and shame and anger and greed and envy and unforgiveness, talking about real life and real problems. And our prayer is that through the gospel, this series would bring relief and real freedom from the enemy's attacks using these silent Killers. Does that sound good to anybody else besides me? Lord, do it. All right. Amen. Stand your feet with me as we get ready to read and honor God's word. If you're watching online, you can stand as well. Get a little cardio in for your day. This morning, I want to kick off with the most insidious. You're like, what is the insa, huh? What? That's an SAT word. The most sneakily, stealthily impactful, silent killer there is. And we're gonna be in 2 Chronicles 26. If you turn in your Bibles, 2 Chronicles 26. If you don't have a Bible, we got it up there for the Sky Bible. While you're flipping there, Finns fans, Dolphins fans, how we feeling? 
right? Tua, Tua's looking. I was very impressed with that first half last night. It was great to watch football on a Saturday, so I already know what happened. I don't have to be stressed on Sunday praying to God that the Dolphins would not let me down again, but I'm, I'm feeling good. But that's not the point. I just, you just, just want to connect. I know you guys care about football, so I just want to serve you in that way. Second Chronicles 26, verse 3, here we go. Uzziah, everybody say Uzziah. This is our main human character of the story this morning. His name is Uzziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Think about yourself at 16 years old. You thought we had it rough sometimes with presidents. God have mercy. Whoo, 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Now, his mother's name was Jecolia of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father, father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. Check this out. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Say that with me, actually. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Let's say it one more time so it gets in our hearts. As long as he sought, God made him prosper. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines, broke through the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabeth and Ashdod and all these other territories of the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and the Arabians who lived in these places. And the Ammonites paid him tribute. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate and the angle gate. And he fortified them in towers in the wilderness. He cut out cisterns. He had large herds. He had farmers and vine dressers for he loved the soil. Anybody like that? You're like, pot. You're like, I like this guy. I'm kind of a, I like plants. My wife likes them. We don't always keep them alive, but we like them. Said so he loved the soil. He had an army of soldiers fit for war. All these divisions, the whole number of the heads being 2,600. He had an army of 307,500. Verse 14, he prepared for the army shears, shields and spears and helmets and coats of mail and bows and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men. They were going to shoot arrows out of the towers and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. How many of you would like that to be the testimony for your life? Man, you know what? They weren't the brightest, and they weren't the sharpest, and they weren't the best looking, but man, their life, they must have been marvelously helped. Till he was strong. And I'll land it here, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. This morning, I want to talk on the silent killer of pride. Let's pray. Jesus... Help us out. Amen. You can find your seat, turn to your neighbor, and tell him, get ready. I got three stopping points along the way. The first one is this. Pride is sneaky. Pride is sneaky. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's true. It's true. Pride is sneaky. I don't know who best illustrates the sneakiness of things than little kids. Uh, my son, Liam, he just turned five, started kindergarten this week. Man, nothing, ta- yeah, amazing. Nothing terrifies you more. My wife and I are teachers. We have hundreds of students come in our classroom. We're like, we got this. We got this. You send one kid to kindergarten. You're like, oh, my gosh, Lord, what are you going to happen? Man, parents, it's like the Hunger Games out there. It's crazy. But he has a great teacher. It's going to be amazing. That's not the point. I just want to tell you that. A little commiseration. Um, I remember I came home from work one day, and my wife said, you are not going to believe what Liam did. At this point, I'll believe anything. So I'm like, 
try me. And she's like, you know, Liam and Lucy, Liam was like, mom, can Lucy come in my room and play? Lucia's our, our daughter, she's two. Can Lucy come in our room and play? And they, they love, they, they have such a beautiful relationship. It's such a gift. I'm like, thank you, God. Me and my brother beat each other up. I'm like, this is great. And so they were in the room playing. She's like, and they were playing so good. I was like, what's the problem? She's like, well, they were playing so good. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's like too quiet. Like it seems too right. Everything seems too perfect. And you're like, mm, what are they doing? She said, so I went into the room because I'm not a rookie anymore. Now we got two kids, right? We're not rookies anymore. She said, I went in the room and, and Liam is there and, and Lucy's there and Liam's there and they just seem totally at peace with one another and everything is great. And so she's like, now she starts feeling a little guilty, right? She's like, Lord, these, are ch these children are a gift from God. And of course, this is amazing. And, and she's like, and, and then she's like I, I was about to start like, oh man, and I was about to just walk out. And then Liam says, mom, can you please leave? And that's when you know her mom intuition, which is always right, right? I mean, obviously. Her mom intuition, when I was out, she's like, what are you talking? She said, son, what are you doing? He's like, oh, huh? what are you doing? And he had this little, like, toy, toy egg thing. And she's like, look, let me see what you got. Now, my son loves bugs. Oh, yeah. He likes little bugs. He likes scary bugs. He does not like spiders because he joins all of heaven in that regard, but he loves beetles and he found the largest beetle I have ever seen in my entire human life. And Buddy took the beetle and brought it in his room and she opens the egg and goes, oh my gosh, and it's a massive beetle that he's playing with. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, I just, I, he's my friend. She's like, your friend can go outside right now. Yeah, so pray for the Lash household. But I, I thought about Liam, and I'm like, man, pride is like a little boy. So sweet, so precious, and so sneaky. It just kind of works its way in. And, and I want us looking at Uzziah in the text as a picture of what life can be like when pride sneaks in. Let's look at the beginning of this. Uzziah, he, he started like we all do. 16-year-old king, which means what? Which means he is young and he is desperate. It's no surprise to me that it says that, and Uzziah was 16 years old and he became king. And he sought God. I'm like, you think? Go ahead and get yourself in a leadership position. You, you, you start working at, at your little ice cream shop job at 16. And they're like, oh, the manager called out. You're the store manager. You're like, God, please. Like, like there's nothing like a, a sense of your lack of expertise that will lend itself to God-fueled desperation. Uzziah started like we all do, young, hungry, humble, and desperate. But Uzziah had skills. We read here in the text, Uzziah had military skills. His fame spread to Egypt. He had this powerful army. He had architectural skills, building towers and cisterns. He had agricultural skills. He had large herds and farmers and vineyards and fertile lands, and he loved the soil, apparently. He had invention skills. He created these things. Bible scholars and historians estimate that it is, it is possible that Uzziah, at least in his context, was inventing the catapult. He invented this, it would sling arrows and it would sling boulders and it would sling rocks. Uzziah had skills and somewhere along the way, this 16-year-old rookie king realized something. I'm kind of good at this. I, I, I kind of, I got the stuff. I got the juice. 
I make the sales. I get the job done. I got, and Uzziah went from 16-year-old rookie to self-proclaimed competent. He was gifted. He was successful. Now, this is not unique to Scripture. We've stumbled on this in the human experience. If you read any business leadership books or organizational leadership books, I kind of geek out on that. I want to grow as a leader and be faithful. Over and over and over again, they will repeat the same refrain, one of the most dangerous things in business, one of the most dangerous things for an organization or for an entity is success. You ever read this before? You ever heard this before? One of the most dangerous things for a leader is success. Why? Because all of a sudden, what got you there, the, the, the hunger to learn, the drive to get better, the, the, the knowledge of the fact that you needed to, to, to reach out to other sources, all of a sudden, you start succeeding, and you assume, I'm good. I got this. And you get complacent, and you lose the hunger to learn and grow and ultimately this sneaky thing called pride gets into the picture. See, pride is sneaky. Here's what it does. Pride takes the right thing, a gift, a skill, an attribute that Scripture tells us every good and perfect gift is from who? God. Pride takes the right thing and attributes it to the wrong person, me. Pride takes the right thing. The, the, this is where it gets sneaky. It's not entirely wrong. It's a half-truth. It takes the right thing. Man, do you realize, Uzziah, the gift that you have? Do you realize the skill that you have? Uzziah, you're 16 years old. 16-year-olds aren't doing this. 16-year-olds are over there popping pimples, and you're over here making, making, making cisterns. Like, this is not normal, Uzziah. You have a gift. You have a destiny. And they take the right thing, all of which is true, and they attribute it to the wrong person. Uzziah. That's all you. You're the man. You're the king. You're the one. You're the cho. You got this. And what happens is if we do not catch pride early, we begin to believe it. And now all of a sudden, we are pushing off against the very source of our strength. The very one who got us there, the good and perfect God who gives good and perfect gifts, is the source of our strength, is the source of our invention, is the source of our ingenuity. And now we begin to push away because we're convinced that it's us. See, pride is sneaky. Number one, pride is sneaky. Number two, pride is powerful. Turn to your neighbor and say, poderoso, poderoso, powerful, poder. Pride is powerful. Verse 16, it says, Uzziah's fame spread far. He was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. What was his destruction? Well, let's read it together. He was unfaithful to the Lord and and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And, and Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord. Talk about calling for backup. 80 priests of the Lord, he shows up. And, and they were all men of valor. And they stood up to King Uzziah. And they said to him, hey, this is not your place to burn incense to the Lord. This is what the priests do, the son of Aaron. By the way, that was what God said. They weren't just flexing their authority. This is what God said. They said, this is what God said. God consecrated us to burn the incense. You got to get out of here. You've done wrong, and it's gonna, it will not bring you honor from the Lord. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I got 80 priests rolling up telling me you need to repent, I'm probably, hopefully, please, God, going to listen. And this is where pride sneaks in. How did 16-year-old Uzziah do this? 
But Uzziah was angry. Now he had the censer in his hand. He, this is what he's using to kind of burn the incense. And, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. You guys familiar? Leprosy is a, is a disease very common in the ancient world, still common in some countries, developing world nations where, I mean, it literally is your body destroying and decaying from the inside out. Your nerve endings die. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a dehumanizing and heartbreaking disease. Hypercontagious. Leprosy breaks out on his forehead in the presence of the priests of the Lord by the altar of incense. I was having a conversation this week with a friend and, and we were talking about a situation in, in their family and they were like, man, you know, there's, there's all this crazy spiritual stuff happening and, and, and it was not good spiritual stuff, it was dark spiritual stuff because there's, there's different forces. Like if you believe the Bible and here at Greenhouse we believe the Bible, there's, there's actually a God who loves you and there's an enemy of your soul who, who wants you dead. His name is the devil. He's not like the spiritual boogeyman, he's very much real. And so there was some weird, dark, spiritual stuff happening, and, and, and it, was, it was painful, and it was dehumanizing, and it was bad. And, and, and my friend, our friend in our microchurch, was recounting this story, and, she's, and they, were have, they were doing some prayer, and it was clearly making a difference, but it was kind of back and forth, and it was very apparent. This was not just some like, oh, you know, everything's fine, she said. And then I, and then I had this conversation with, with my family member. Stuff was happening with their wife, and I had my, this conversation with my family member, and he's not a Jesus guy, and... And he took this very clearly spiritually dark, like deep stuff and just like dismissed it away. Like, oh man, you know, it's just, ah, it's not a big deal. And she's like, what, what do you mean it's not a big deal? He's like, ah, and, and this was her comment. She said, man, John, it was, it was the classic trait of my family to approach life like this rather than like this. And I stopped and I was like, I'm still listening to you. Give me a second, I need to take out my phone. Because I'm like, that, that is pride. I, I need us to catch this. God does not oppose the proud, which we'll hear from, because he is threatened by pride. He opposes the proud because pride threatens us and he loves us. I was like, what do you mean by this? She said, my, 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 whole, like my, my, my whole dad's side of the family, she was saying, she's like, my whole dad's side of the family, like they're, always, they're always bracing themselves for a fight. They're always kind of ready to, to, to push away and push off and, and be on the defensive. And they're, and they're never willing to just say, you know what, I, maybe I need some help. Maybe this is beyond me. Maybe I can't handle this. Maybe I can invite someone in. Maybe I might need, she said, they're, they're, they're always like this. And that's what pride does. Pride postures your life and heart like this. And the problem with that is that if you've got something in your hand that's killing you, when you clench your fist like this, God can't take it out. And if you open your posture of your heart and your life like this, if there is something that you need, God can drop it in. But if your life and heart is postured like this, you can't put anything in my hands. Are you tracking with this analogy? I, I am praying to God, church, that we would be a group of people that live life like this and not like this. Because if you are your defense, you can do decent, but you cannot withstand all of the damages and destruction coming your way. And if you live life like this, you will be pushing away some of the help and assistance that God is divinely sending you. And if you live life like this, you are not just fighting people. At the end of the day, you will find yourself fighting God. Because God is humble. This is what people miss with God. 
We think God, we think God, creator God, coming down from the cosmos, doing whatever he pleases. I don't know where that voice came from. And that's true, but God is humble. You're like, John, how do you know? Because we look at Jesus, the image of the invisible God. See, here's what we're told about God. God, if you're like this, guess what God does? All right, cool. I don't have to come inside. Scripture actually tells us, this is the exact word picture that Jesus gives us in Revelation. God says, I stand at the door. He doesn't say, I stand at the door saying, police open up, boom, battering ram, and I'm gonna come in there whether you want it or not. God says, listen, I'm, I'll stand at the door and I'll just, I'll knock. And if any are willing, and they open the door, man, I'd love to come and hang with them. And, and I can fix things up. And, man, there's no handyman like the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll fix things up. I'll get the place looking right. I'll get everything cleaned up. I'll make it amazing. But, but if I knock and they don't want to answer, guess what? God is a rescuer, but he is not the SWAT team. He will not break down your door. He's willing, but he won't force his way in. And I need us, man, church, I'm praying we catch this because God is trying to do something beautiful in the midst of this church family. I mean, I, I wish I could go through, I'll share one testimony, all of the stories of incredible things that Jesus is doing. I mean, in the last several weeks, but I need us to catch this from Uzziah and throughout the trajectory of scripture. God can't rescue you when you are too prideful to ask for help. Look at verse 20. He breaks out in leprosy. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests look at him. They look at Uzziah, and behold, he's leprous in his forehead, and they rush him out quickly. He himself, he hurries to go out. He realizes, oh, snap, what did I do? And, and he rushes to go out because the Lord had struck him. And I don't know if there was a more tragic verse in all of Scripture than this one. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house. Check this. For he was excluded other versions say he was separated. He was banned from the house of the Lord. Uzziah, as a result of this sneaky, powerful thing called pride, lives the rest of his life separated from people and separated from God. Because God is humble. I, I need us to understand what's happening here. Because oftentimes, we attribute the destruction of pride to God, and that's not on him. God is merciful. God is loving. God is compassionate. I mean, so many of our story here in Greenhouse, we're not a bunch of super spiritual people who floated up, and we just, man, we just been in church our whole life, and we float around our days. We're a bunch of ordinary people who made some serious mistakes in life, and Jesus is putting us back together. We are the tribe of the second, third, and 93rd chances, and are living testimonies of the mercy of God. Amen. Anybody else like, yes, that is my story. Amen to that one. So it is not a factor of God's unwillingness to help. The moral of the story here is clear, and I need us to catch this. Nothing can separate you or keep you from the love of God. Paul says, neither height nor depth nor any created thing nor, nor things under the earth nor things above the earth, nothing can separate you from the love of God, not your track record, not your inability to get it right, not your sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God except your pride. Pastor John, how could you say that? Because you can't be forgiven of sins you won't repent of. 
Why is this the number one? Because this is the silent killer of all silent killers. We've debated for eons. What is the unforgivable sin that the scripture talks about? And way smarter people than me have talked all about it. I'm not even trying to get in that debate. I'll tell you an unforgivable sin because we see it with Uzziah. It is pride. God's like, if you're just willing to say, man, I blew it. He's like, I'd love to come in and save the day. Look at Proverbs. Solomon writes, all you who fear the Lord, man, hate evil. God says, therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit or humble in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 6, God says, there's six things that I hate, six things the Lord hates, seven that are repulsive to him. You're like, I didn't know God hated anything. Well, apparently he does. That's what he said in his word. What's the first one that he lists? Can you guess? Pride. You think this is a bigger deal than we made it out to be? I, I, I was messing around back and forth. I'm like, I considered titling this sermon, Pride, the American Virtue and the Original Sin. Because we wear it like a badge of honor in our culture. We have all sorts of pride about all sorts of different things. And we're like, man, and we're like, you know, we're, we're proud to be an American. We're proud to be this. We're, proud, we're like, we, and I get the sentiment, but I, I need us to understand, friends, pride is not something you just mess around with. You're like, man, I know there's rat, po- rat poisoning all over my kitchen counter, but it's not that big of a deal. Man, clean your kitchen counter. That's rat poison. None of us would say that, right? We kind of play with pride like it's like, oh, it's so, every Christian, like, oh, man, you know, it's like, the, it's like the, the, the sin that every Christian, like, laughs about struggling with. Like, oh, man, you know, I struggle with pride. I was like, oh, yeah, brother. I'm like, we're not like, oh, man, you know, every now and then I drop accidentally some rat poisoning into my kid's lunchbox when I send them to school. <laughs> like, I got three letters for you, DCF, right? But we play so cavalier with pride. To our detriment. Number one, pride is sneaky. Number two, pride is powerful. I don't know where all these analogies are coming from. Lord have mercy there. Definitely not in my notes. And finally, number three, humility is the antidote. Say it with me. Say humility. Say, Lord, teach me humility. Humility is the antidote. I want to read you two separate Bible verses, and you tell me if you see anything interesting here. The first one's from James. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right, that's from James. Now, this is from Peter, 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Anything interesting you notice there? Plagiarism, right? They both... Use the same exact quote. In fact, they didn't even write that. That comes from the Proverbs. What in the world is up with that? Something profound. This is one of the only times, by the way, in the Bible where exactly quoted from two different authors is the same exact line in the same exact way from the same exact place from two different people in two different books. Why? Because James and Peter both experienced it. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was Jesus' half-brother. I'm going to give us a little history lesson here, early church, at least a Cliff Notes version. He was like the guy. He, he was the dude. Peter, remember Peter, the, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a hot mess, but we all kind of like him because we can all relate to that. And, and so Peter um, w- w- was the one that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And yet both of these guys got rebuked in the book of Acts from this new young buck upstart apostle named Paul who used to be a terrorist. 
murdering people. Like, just to be clear, I know we, like, spiritualize the Bible. Like, this, 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 but this, was, this was a terrorist murdering Christians who now comes, and he rebukes James. Because James sent some Judaizers. He's like, bro, what are you doing? That's not the gospel. He rebukes James. And then Peter's doing some stuff with Jews and Gentiles. And he's kind of playing shady and, and acting one way in front of one group and another way. And Paul says he rebukes him to his face. And both of these guys blew it. The two pillars of the early church, both of them blew it. And yet when they got rebuked by their Azariah, what did they do? They repented. And so they both penned not out of theory, but out of lived experience and failure. Hey, guys, I need you to be clear on something. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love the fact that James and Peter were not perfect because we're not perfect. Well, how did they make it? One key, humility. Humility. Here's the warning that I don't want us to miss. When we grow in skill and talent and authority, it gets harder to receive the correction of the Azariah priests in our life. And when God sends us people, church, we need to listen because God opposes the proud, but there's always grace for the humble. God opposes, you structure and posture your life like this, guess who you're fighting? God. But you turn around and open your hands and say, I need help. I, I need insight. I need, I need correction. I, I, I need revelation. I need, I need assistance. I need strength. God promises anybody who postures their life like this, instead of this, he's gonna give them grace every time. Two application points for us to walk in humility. Two tangible things I want us to do. You're like, Pastor John, okay, humility. I don't want to be prideful. I kind of know I struggle with pride. What do you want me to do? Two things. Number one, I need you to realize and I need you to own that you need people. You need people. If you go back to the beginning of the story, it says that Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. God made him prosper. Friends, I want us to understand using Uzziah's life as a warning and a symbol for us. We need people. You and I, we, we need a Zechariah. It's not just, by the way, this is what like every TikTok influencer is saying. This season's so hard. Make sure you got your, your girlfriends, your, your boys. Like make sure, I, these, these are not just general friends here. I need us to be biblically clear. Zechariah was a friend who helped Uzziah seek God. You don't, you do, do need friends, but you need more than like gym workout buddies. And you need more than like, hang out, let's just shoot the breeze, girl talk. You need friends like Zechariah who help you seek God. Maybe there's, there's that group in your microchurch and, and they get up early to pray and you're like, man, I, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but 6 a.m., I feel like 6 o'clock only comes once in the day. And that's at the end of the day, not the beginning of the day. That doesn't feel like the Lord. That feels like the devil to me. I'm not going to do it. And you're like, you know what? I need to be around those friends because they're crazy in the best way possible, and they're committed to seeking God. We all need Zechariahs, but we also need Azariahs. We need someone like this priest who rolled up with 80 deep, who's willing and love to call us out when we miss it. Proverbs says that in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. We've talked about it before here at the greenhouse, that pride is like bad breath. Everybody around you knows you got it but you might have no idea. Who are you inviting in to be your bad breath checks? 
Who are you inviting in to be like, hey, what's going on? They're like, ooh, girl, I got a word for you. Actually, two. Tick-tack. It's a word from the Lord. Tick-tack. Like, who are you inviting in actively, not putting them in the awkward spot where they have to be like, oh, I hope they receive this. Who are you inviting in to say, hey, have you noticed anything in me that you feel like God might want to work on? Who are you inviting in to be an Azariah in your life? Because I need it, and God knows you need it, and we need it, and we all need it. Amen? You need people, number two. You need God. Friends, we need God. I know the prophets of our day, self-proclaimed, will say, man, you don't need anybody. All you need is on the inside. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know who said that? The devil. That's what the devil said. He's like, man, I've got, I'm amazing. I'm going to ascend. That's what the, literally, I'm not being metaphorical. Literally, that's what the devil said. You need God. Everything you have is in Jesus, and he'll give it to you as a gift, but it's not in you. We need God. Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. I mean, here's the problem. When you cease seeking and spending time abiding in the presence of the humble one, Jesus, the humble one, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but humbled himself, when you don't spend time in the humble one's presence and you spend time around all of the earths who are the antithesis of humble, you will fall into pride. And I and we have not committed to a lifestyle seeking God. I mean, I'll say it again. My dream, church, is to have an army of disciples that have committed the first hour of every single day to seek the face of Jesus in worship, in prayer, talking to God, and hearing from God. That's my dream. You're like, Pastor John, you're kind of crazy, but I like you. What do you want me to do? They're like, that would be my birthday present. That's an anniversary present. You don't have to give me a gift for the rest of my life. Somebody take me up on that, please. That's my dream. Why? It's not, it's not going to make you love, it's not going to make God love you more, but it's the only antidote for my soul to stay away from the sneakiness and the powerful, destructive nature of pride. I want us to take a lesson from the story of Uzziah. Worship team, you can come up. We're about to close and we'll sing a chorus, but the higher you ascend in power, the greater you excel in your field, the greater your need to seek God. And pride is simply forgetting that truth. I need help. It says, Uzziah's fame spread far, verse 15, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. Uzziah's success story is that he thought, oh man, I'm so smart, I'm so sharp, I'm such a good leader. Scripture makes clear his success story was he was marvelously helped by God. And as long as he lived life with a posture like this of humility, God just kept putting good things in his hands. And as soon as he wrapped his fingers around and said, I got this, I'm my strength, I'm my defense, I'm my fortress, it spelled his destruction. Friend, even in your strengths, you need help. I need help. Even when things look secure, I need help. Even when I feel like I don't know, like I know exactly what I'm doing, I need help. And God always helps the humble and he always opposes the proud. Because we don't want to fight with God. We need God. We desperately need God. 
And when you live open-handed, when you live life like this instead of like this, when you live life like this, waiting and, and open and asking for God's assistance, you give God a chance to show up and bring heaven in and through your life. I'm gonna close with this story and then we'll close out singing in worship to God. Last weekend was powerful and it wasn't based off of any human thing. Worship was good, the band is amazing and Pastor Robbie did so great, but, but then like heaven broke out. It was beautiful. So in microchurch, which are the smaller communities in our larger community here, if you haven't checked one out, man, you're missing out, check out on microchurch. There's the plug. We're in microchurch and, and one of the guys was sharing and, and I asked him if I could share this story without his name. And he said, man, I, I just had like, just a bad week. Like, I'm, I'm really trying, I wanna, I love Jesus, he's changed my life, you know, and I, and I wanna follow him, and so I'm trying to spend time in his word every single day because I know I need it, and, and so, and I just missed, if you've ever been in that spot where like, you miss a time with God, a quiet time, secret place time, whatever you wanna call it, and, and then I missed two, and then I missed three, and I just came in on Sunday, like, just feeling like a loser. Emotionally, I was bummed. Spiritually, I was so disappointed in myself, and but he had a Zechariah in his life. He said, and then it gets to the end of the service and, and one of my friends from microchurch you know, came up to me and he's like, hey man, be ready in case God puts someone on your heart. I feel like God wants to use you to pray for someone. And he's like, devil get behind me. <laughs> his friend didn't know where he was at, but he said, but you know, at this point, John, I'm just, I'm just open for God to do whatever. Like, I'm, I'm just like, Jesus, if you'll use my life, like I, I feel like I bring like, sometimes anti-momentum to the table. But if you'll do something with me and through me and in my life, like I'm game for it. He said, so I just, you know, people, people were dismissed and a bunch of people were up here at the front. And I just, I just walked up to the front. And he just kind of went like this in his heart. God, I'm open. He said, and all of a sudden, like someone there, there was a bunch of people lingering if you weren't here last week. And he said, and all of a sudden God put someone, this, there was this guy out there lingering and God kind of put him on my heart. And I start feeling that, and do, 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 do. he's like, oh man, no, it's gonna happen. And, and he's like, and, and, and so like, I'm kind of looking at him and then the guy starts looking at me and then I like slowly put my mask on and then he slowly puts his mask on. It's like a Wild Wild West duel, like, doo, doo, doo. they're like, look at each other. And he said, I finally went up to him and he was, a old, he was, he was you know, 20, 30 years my elder. And so I'm a little nervous and I'm like, ah. And, and he said, and I just said, hey man, I, I feel like God put you on my heart. Is there something I could pray for you about? He said, now what I didn't tell him is while I was standing there and we were doing the little looking at each other weird mask up thing, God puts a specific thought that I felt like I was supposed to pray for him. But I was kind of like, oh my God, ah, like, that's gonna be weird. And like what, like, what if I'm wrong? And what if it's awkward? And I don't really know this guy. And he's like, so I, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. He said, so I went up to the guy, hey, I feel like God wanted me to pray for you. And the guy's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> You ever been there before? He's like, oh, great. He said, and then he said, but if there's something specific God put on your heart, you can pray for me that. God was like, oh, crap. And so he, I'm, I'm telling you this because this is how it really looks when God moves in like real life. Like we hear stories like, and then I began to levitate and God said, oh, and angels came about me. And I was like, father. And, and he's like, I was like, crap, oh, no. He said, but I was just like, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I've looked like an idiot doing plenty of other things. God knows it's worth it to try to care for someone and be obedient to you. He said, so I started praying. And I guess some of the stuff was accurate because he starts crying. 
and God starts moving. And then the guy turns around and says, I actually feel like I've got something I'm supposed to pray for you. And, and, he, and he prays for this guy in our microchurch, like almost verbatim the same thing that eight people before in separate scenarios have said to him that he feels like God is trying to remind him about. And so he starts crying. So they're both crying. It's like this crazy thing. And he tells a story, our whole microchurch, oh, that, you're not Zach. Zach is in there, Caleb is in there too. And our whole microchurch is just like blown away. And it's like, what was that? God who opposes the proud, but he's so ready to give grace and kingdom and heaven to the humble. Why don't you stand with me to your feet? And if you're, if you're willing, I'd love for us to close our eyes. It just helps us focus. And, and if you're willing, I'd love to even put out our hands in a posture of receiving. Lord, we're open to you. Jesus, we need you. We've always needed you. But I think in our Uzziah-like seasons of opulence and success and growth and, and wealth, we've kind of forgotten how desperately 16 years old we were in our kingship over our lives. Lord, we need you. And so, God, my prayer is that every bit of everything you want to do this morning, you would do it in our hearts. But because we're open, we're ready. And, Lord, the only thing that's going to stop you from having your way is if we refuse to let you in. Holy Spirit, we welcome you.